Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Sunglasses. Bicorn. Smallmouth bass. Wow. Bowling pin. Ah, ah. trap. Rubber chicken. Little to the left. That's it. I don't know. Any eyeball glasses? I've never seen those before in my life. Bazooka? I have a permit for that. Picture of Kellaway's wife. What? Uh-oh. Margaret! You son of a bitch! Jeez, I figured you had a sense of humor. After all. You married her! Ah! That's gotta hurt. Get him! Doyle! From the neck up. Meet. In an age when few men played by the rules, you'll never be here again! One man survived. Is this seat taken? It is now. By making his own. I promise that I will lose for at least an hour. Sounds good to me. You did say you were going to lose for an hour. I am a man of my word. And his name was Maverick. You always been gutless. When it came to beating the odds. Was that fast? I thought it was fast. No man was better. How can I possibly go on without my wallet? Oh, don't get mad at me. Until he met his match. My name is Annabelle Bass. I'll be taking the stage. So am I. So am I. It's May 20th. Now, well, I remember my first runaway stage. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I got it all under control. They're out to win the biggest prize of all. <laughs> Welcome to the first ever All Rivers Raw Poker Championship. From the toughest competition of all, each other. No Gibson. You! You called me, son. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I believe he called you a gutless cow. No, I did not say that. I was teasing. Teasing! <laughs> I don't like being teased. Jodie Foster. I see, there you go, being unlikable again. 
James Garner. A woman's suffering's not a funny thing. There are exceptions. At a time when men lived for adventure. Everybody's got a gun! One man. Men do dig! Almost died for it. Oh, don't play around and stop those horses! Again? And again? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And again. However, did you escape from those hostiles? Maverick. Splendid similarities. A Richard Donner film. Well, now I really believe this. Well, you better go now, Dave. Before the clowns take over, huh? And when you get back from saving the world, I want a full written report so I can give it to the chief when he gets back on Monday. <laughs> Did you miss me? I guess not. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I am one of your hosts, David Stregge, and you're in the room with me. I have, uh, have, hello everybody, the Inside Movies Galore crew. We have Kota Kabuki Jake. Hello. Septon Sin. Yo. Mo. Howdy. Corey. No, I mean, David. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Corey? I have no idea. He was somebody that was... <laughs> oh, yeah, Cody. Cody, uh, he's my intern. Uh, I had him uh, cover for me during the last episode. Unfortunately, it was a real fucked up home life, I'll tell you that. Clearly, yeah. yeah. I'm going to take Cody under my wing, though. I'm going to teach him some things. Well, I'm trying to, stra I'm like trying to straighten that boy out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to straighten that boy out. Yeah, he's a job. Anyway. Well, I mean, he is uh, he is working for me, so I might have him come on okay. some uh, some of my later videos. Just depends on if people want to see him. <laughs> All right, alrighty. So, uh, so in here with me, I have tonight's host uh, for uh, for today, and I've got my dice all ready for uh, for this movie. So, uh, 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 why don't you tell me a little bit about um what movie we're about to see? Or all right. Uh, so, in deference to this being Meet the Cast Month, even though it's technically two months, and uh, it, we call it Meet the Cast Month, <laughs> uh, I, Kabuki Jake, am putting forth a movie that for many years, or at least for several years, was my favorite film. And it still is a favorite. It is the Richard Donner retelling of the 1950s, 60s, uh, I don't remember the exact date, but the old Maverick TV serial. This is the Richard Donner film from 1994, Maverick. Uh, IMDb gives a pretty bare-bones synopsis. Brett Maverick, needing money for a poker tournament, faces various comic mishaps and challenges, including a charming woman thief. Um, 
The film is written by William Goldman of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, Misery, and the Princess Bride fame. And it is one of his best screenplays, I have to say. And it also stars... It also stars Mel Gibson in the title role of Brett Maverick, the original Brett Maverick, James Garner, in the role of Marshall Zane Cooper, mm-hmm. and Jodie Foster in the role of the, quote, charming woman thief, Annabelle Bransford. Uh, so I'm going to start with this. Uh, I'll start with you, Dave. What's your uh, first impressions or overall impressions of this one? Well, uh, first of all, my name is Dave. Uh, from South. Um, let me tell you something about this film. I kind of sort of uh, watched it uh, maybe a little bit yesterday and uh, and uh, the rest of it today. And, uh, just uh, deci- uh, uh, decided to speed it along. And, uh, well, I kind of liked it. So. Um, it kind of had a little bit of a western down. It was kind of up my alley. And uh, started out with a poker game, so uh, so it, it kind of uh, kind of like seeing uh, the dude from uh, what was it, Temple of Doom? Oh, oh you're talking about Alfred Molina? Yes, no, yeah. he was in Raiders. He was kind in Raiders. Like him in that role, so. Yes, he was in Raiders. But uh, I'd let you fall down for free. It, it, yes, <laughs> it was the first time seeing the film from down under, so. Uh, it was uh, definitely entertaining. Oh, good times. How about you, Mo? Oh, shit, man. Yeah, like, I don't know if this was ever my favorite movie, but it was definitely for, like, a period when it was newer. Mm-hmm. A repeat watch for me and my little brother. We just watch <laughs> this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely still love it to this day. Absolutely think it's probably one of, like, in terms of, like, a genuine Western that's also a fucking comedy. I think Maverick has got to be, like, top tier. I mean, I've seen a couple other ones. Yeah. But this, for my money, is, like, the highest quality of them. At least of what I've seen. Yeah. Uh, like, and, I think everyone talks about Blazing Saddles, but I don't think this one ranks up. Yeah, because it just feels more legitimately like a Western mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just is dealing with sly, greasy characters that would be kind of funny to be around, you know? Right. Um, I like the idea that it's like also a western with kind of most of the mortal violence taken out of it because they're just slime bags that try to escape all the time and stuff. And all that. <laughs> and everyone's it's just oh him or he you know he owes them for something. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just it it. I think the impression I took out of it this viewing was that. It so deserved a couple sequels that we we also deserved, I think, as fans that it, it didn't get because he was busy, obviously, probably with other shit that he was doing at the time. Uh, a, little, a little movie, uh, probably prepping a little movie called Braveheart. Some <laughs> crap like that. I mean, I'd have well, taken you know two Maverick sequels over a couple of the movies that he did back then. Well, so. well not only that, if we're talking Mel Gibson's uh, contributions with... Uh, with Richard Donner, or collaborations with Richard Donner. Right. Uh, they're best known probably for their Lethal Weapon series. Oh, yeah. And this came out two years after Lethal Weapon 3. 
I Lethal Weapon 4 definitely was one of the things that kind of maybe got in the, in the way. way a little bit. Because, God, uh, it just, it begged for it. Like, it's, it, if I could go back in time and change, like, things about movie history, getting Maverick at least one sequel would have been the thing that I would have changed. It almost looks, though, like Richard Donner must have kind of more or less retired. This was one of his last films. He followed it up with Assassins, Conspiracy Theory, Lethal Weapon 4, Timeline, 16 Blocks, and Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. All right. You know, and then there's a, uh, a, a Sting video that he did uh, oh, the same year. And that's it. I don't even know nothing else as a director. The Superman 2, his version is yeah. a lot, lot better. But that was in 2006. That was 14 years ago. He's still alive yeah. and he hasn't directed anything in 14 years. So it's like. Well, and even that, like he shot all that stuff back in 1978 right. and uh, they just reassembled it all in 2006. Still crusty yeah. and gruff as hell in interviews. <laughs> I, love I love Dick Donner in interviews to the guys. I know that he did, uh, when he did the Goonies, I know that he couldn't stand the kids. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like he's, he's such one of my favorite directors just because of his personality. Like, yeah, we're just, we're just doing our thing. Well, so, also, um, from what I understand, those kids were all a bunch of little shits, so, you know. <laughs> As kids are at that age, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially especially you know, Hollywood kids. That would have been my overall, because I don't know that I really thought too much on it in the past. I just kind of watched Maverick, but mm -hmm. this time mm -hmm. I really came away wishing that we had gotten a sequel or two. So. I, I tell you what, though, I, I mentioned this in our pickups yesterday, which I guess airs tonight, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, uh, tomorrow. tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. Uh, one of my presentations this week was Lethal Weapon 2. I should have thought about that, that I had an unwatched copy of Lethal Weapon 2. I should have watched the first two Lethal Weapons as part of my prep for this, because there are a lot of Lethal Weapon references. But mm -hmm. I didn't really think about it. And we'll get into those as we go along. But anyway, Dane, what's your impressions on this one? Well, uh, this was a first time watch for me. I, um, I, the first time I ever even heard of the film was actually watching the um, behind the scenes of um, the Passion of the Christ, where they talked to yeah. Jim Caviezel, and I guess that he must have talked to Mel Gibson about possibly being in the film. This was this was like uh, you know obviously a long time ago, and well, they say he said Maver well he said Mavericks. Plural, so I kind of wondered, like, was that the same movie or what? But, um, you know, I know that um, the desire to adapt that section of uh, the Gospels was in Mark Gibson's mind for, like, a long time, and uh, mm -hmm. you'll notice this was an icon uh, production, and that was uh, the old icon logo, which I didn't even know there was an icon logo that wasn't the classic one that we know. Uh, like the the eye, but I didn't even yeah. notice that. No. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if I you're a fan, if you're a fan of Mel Gibson as a director, as I am, um, yeah. you know, you, you notice that. But like the uh, so, in other words, I I had heard about it, kind of uh, word of mouth, so to speak, and then uh, you know, saw it just now, and I'd never seen the show. Um, I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say. 
Um, there there are a lot of I know I know. Well, there are a lot of old there are a lot of old western shows. Yeah. I mean, like that's what the um, obviously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood they reference right. uh, with it with that with the show within the movie Bounty Law. It's like there are a lot of old western TV shows from that time period um, that well people my age have never heard of necessarily and that's well, yeah dude i mean the westerns were like our samurai fucking yakuza period that was, yeah. was boom, you know exactly and, all, and, and also they they haven't exactly made it easy like uh brandon's pointed out that this movie is out of print but like mm-hmm. most of the series is out of print you can get seasons one and two pretty easily and i bought them at walmart really cheap but seasons four and five forget about it you can get them you can pay an arm and a leg you can get them i think you can order them directly from warners because warners has that archive program mm-hmm. but they they're not wide release so they the movie though the movie is out of print. Yeah. Wait, I mean, is it hard to get a copy of it, though? I don't know how hard <laughs> yeah, it is. Not really easily. Okay, I, I, I feel like I was finding <laughs> Maverick like every fucking time yeah. that I went to the thrift store for a while. I, I've had it. I've had it for years, and yes, for a while it was easy to get. But I don't know that it's ever had a proper release since that initial flipper. I, so, I don't know because like yeah. I ordered it I ordered it from Amazon, like just normal Amazon Prime. I got it really easily, um and, yeah. and quickly, so I don't know, maybe they put it back into print, I don't know. But anyway, Is it the, the full cover though? Yeah, it's probably the same variety. Like I said, what they really need to do, they need to do a complete collection, the whole T V series and the movie, and just I'd buy it. Shout, shout <laughs> Factory needs to release yeah. it. Yeah. Dude, yeah, like a, give us a sequel, too. Fuck it. Yeah, like a shout well, and, actually, and actually, no, you've got a good point there, because the original series, they started with James Garner as Brett Maverick. Eight episodes in, they realized, wait a minute, we can't do an episode a week and still make our air date, because, you know... So they brought in Jack Kelly to play Bart Maverick, who does get a shout-out in the movie. And Bart Maverick alternated with Brett Maverick, and they did that for right. two seasons. And then James Garner left in a contract dispute, so they brought in Roger Moore as their cousin, Bo Maverick. Oh. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, that's why there's that Bart joke in the movie, too. eh? Yes. Yes. So they they tried really hard to keep the show in the air. Let's put it that way. But uh, it ended up going for five seasons. Of course, it also had Adam West in a handful of episodes, Ephraim Zabalas Jr. in a handful of episodes. Damn, I need to see these so bad. I have been watching season one. I am almost. Yeah, and I was tempted, dude, if I wasn't. Deep so in so many marathons right now. It's really interesting because they really borrowed a lot, and I'll talk about that as we go on. But anyway, I didn't mean to cut into you, Dan. Did you have anything more on your yeah, um, Well, mostly just that I had to kind of hear about it secondhand like that, and uh, 
you know, I, I watched it right before we started, and, um, you know, it was, uh, and I've, I've seen all the Lethal Weapons, I've seen the Goonies, I've seen, you know, Richard Donner, Superman, and Superman 2, I've seen plenty of his movies, um, and this definitely had that classic blend of action and good humor, um, it did, it was very lethal weapon crossed with something like the princess bride um in terms mm-hmm. of tone and style which makes sense considering he made it but not to um, mention he also did scrooge which was really yeah good. yeah well and uh mm-hmm. you know the um I, I think it had a good well good sense of humor about itself it uh you know william goldman he he could write he he was a brilliant writer, but like he he could write humor in a way that I think people haven't really been able to anymore. Like yeah. he was able to make it really clever uh, and snappy without it being too cutesy or too yeah. uh, very natural. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, you could you could believe that in this world that people would talk mm-hmm. like that, and it's not too much like spoof uh yeah. you know n- nothing like that now there was definitely some fourth wall breaking in here um but uh, like a little bit and it wasn't too heavy-handed but it was mm-hmm. uh my my only real criticism on the script level which again it's well again kind of a criticism but not really um it's very it's very telling of where tv adaptation movies were in the yeah. 90s because there were a lot of tv adaptation movies and yeah. like another one that uh i guess it was technically new line but it was you know one of those they put put out was uh, lost in space and mm-hmm. they had a similar criticism of that script which was that uh well in both both scripts here uh they do feel very well episodic and yeah. uh, obviously there's a reason for that because they were adapted from episodic tv shows uh, it, was a, it was a regular feature in the Maverick series that one of the Maverick brothers, either Bart or Brett, would narrate the introduction to the episode, and every now and then they'd nice. give an update through a narration, which they definitely did in this movie. And mm-hmm. I thought that was, that was very much a callback to the series. Well, yeah. it's, it sounds like yeah. they did their homework, which obviously... Yeah. I- Having not seen it, you'd be a better yeah. judge of that than me. But um, I, I would say just my only thing I would say is there's a reason why the uh, IMDb description is rather uh, vague and mm-hmm. not all that uh, descriptive. It's because, well, mm-hmm. the plot is very episodic and it's very... Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you know, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a certain point, like, I was a little bit like, yeah, this is this is fun, this is amusing, but r- remind me, where, where's this going again? I, like, I was, and I was like, oh, yeah, the big poker game. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, but, the big like, game, the big game. Do you have enough fun? <laughs> yeah, it just, there, there were definitely... Uh, like it definitely meanders a lot, and it meanders to funny, uh, very clever places. Right. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it just I have also subsequently I have seen other film adaptations of uh, you know TV shows uh, even from the sixties. Like mm-hmm. a good example. A good example is actually you know the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek. That yeah. that is a like people don't really talk about it in this way, but like the script for that movie is remarkably tight, and it is. Uh, it's not even a movie. movie. Uh, 
I love the Abrams Star Trek movies. I do too, but that first script in particular, it was so well-paced, it was so tight, it was so... Like, even if they hadn't had sequels, like, it was so just well-contained into one movie Mm -hmm. and just very well-structured, didn't feel too long or too short. Uh, And so, in other words, like, TV show movie adaptations, like, they came along later and they were able to be they they were able to work better as just movie scripts and then but in the 90s when they did a lot of those adaptations the plots tended to be very episodic and like even like a, like a there were a ton of them like there was uh, the Adams family the first one yes. you know that's very episodic and then like uh, I this just came out the year the year after Adams family values this that's one right there was that there was the Brady Bunch movies yeah. there was Flintstones well actually uh, oh, yeah. I only saw bits of Flintstones I didn't well, like actually uh, well, well from, I haven't seen it but I've seen like reviews of it and it yeah. does seem very episodic but like uh, the Mission Impossible actually had yeah. a, a properly cinematic plot uh, yeah. you know and it uh, yeah, it's a there were some exceptions, but in other words, like that at bad. that time, at that time, their plots tended to be episodic, which reflected the shows, but they yeah. weren't necessarily cinematic. If you get what right, I mean. and you know, I, I would, would say though, I would say though, the overall plot for Adam's family was not as episodic as you're saying. Like I feel like it was. Yeah. It was a pretty solid. It was mostly centered on Fester's return. Yeah, and they and did a this, good job. Yeah, and and for this, even though the movie seems to kind of, you know, yeah. wind up in in three sort of parts, but it definitely they, they built the All Rivers Tournament. Yeah, they built to an overall conclusion, yeah. and then well, that I, I does should... leave you open for more. Well, I, should, does, I, should, I should clarify. I should clarify. But it, does, I say. it does. Uh, it does have an episodic feel because you do start with. Um, well, you don't really start, but you enter early into a scene where there's a tournament where he meets various characters. You do have the stagecoach ride. You do have the part with the wagon train that was attacked. You do have the part with Joseph and the Indians. You do have, and then you have the All Rovers tournament itself. So there definitely are some episodes to be had, and yeah. a lot of them are specific callbacks to the show. Mm-hmm. So it def- I get that argument fully. It does have a good overarching feel to it, but it definitely has some episodes as you go. You yeah. can think of it as a really well structured anthology film if you wanted to. Yeah, true. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe benefited from a bit of the Lady Snowblood treatment where they br- that movie's broken up into like four chapters mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so, that's what I meant by episodic, meaning not not that it didn't build to something. I didn't want to mm-hmm. make that argument. It just it was more that uh, each of the segments, like they did have their own beginning, middle, and end, and they, oh, for, you know, for sure. and there's the hint of the larger thing in the background, which is the mm-hmm. poker game, but yeah. TV shows do that all the time, where, you know, there's this big yeah. thing that the finale builds up to, or at, least, sure. that's how, or at least that's how it used to work in the uh, pre- 
streaming days. Nowadays, the structural rules this, this are not the This is a lot like the Arrowverse seasons, because each season mm-hmm. you've got a couple of characters who are the through line for the whole season. Yeah, and then yeah. you have little little through lines. This one you've got you've got in that opening sequence, that opening tournament introduces uh, Annabelle. Mm-hmm. You've already been introduced to Maverick and Angel in that first scene. So the three of them are, start the ball rolling, and then when they get on the state and when they get on the ferry, you meet Coop, and the four of them. Uh, Annabelle, Maverick, Coop, and Angel are through line throughout the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. But if you go through each scene, you'll see individual characters. You got the bank guy who's only in that one scene. You got Joseph who's basically in a couple of scenes. You got the Commodore who doesn't show up until the big All Rivers tournament. You know, so you definitely have some big characters who show up for certain segments of the film. So yeah, you can definitely make the argument that there are episodes within the right, right. And like I said, not necessarily bad. It's just more. I I take. It's just more of an observation of where the script structures for TV show adaptations where they were Mm -hmm. versus where they have uh, become. Of course, Not nowadays a, nowadays we see the opposite, where movies become TV shows. Well, right. like I was saying, dude, I mean, there, there is a middle ground to that. Like, yeah. like Snowblood, uh, and as far as I know, this is the first time they did it with like a studio film or something like that. So uh, now, at least they claim, but you know, they break it up into definite chapters. Like after each chapter, there's fully a part that's like chapter two, long convoluted Japanese title. <laughs> you know, and yeah. It helps so, very yes, much to make the movie the feel little, like you watch translation. So um, we haven't had Brandon give his intro, and I actually know his intro to this film, but we'll go ahead. And- <laughs> yeah, I had heard about it earlier on, but I never had an interest in it. Unlike uh, several people here, I'll admit my uh, introduction to westerns. I had a kind of love-hate relationship with <laughs> I really loved the Clint Eastwood gritty style westerns. Those were like my favorite regardless. Mm, and, uh, and, uh, but at the same time I was bored to tears when uh, I would sit there and watch things like uh, and the, the TV show The Ma- the, uh, the Gunsmoke or oh, God. Uh, or gosh uh, Bonanza. I, did he start on Gunsmoke? Yes, he did. Yeah. But, uh, they're a very different character type. And again, it's like, uh, to me, I always considered Westerns boring. As, <laughs> and if it wasn't a Clint Eastwood Western, I had no interest in it. I've expanded, we talked about this on Monday a little bit about changing perspectives mm-hmm. and right. a, a little bit more open of course uh, jacob and i had this little thing where we would uh, go back and forth and show each other movies <laughs> and uh, he brought up maverick as one of his because he's like you haven't seen maverick before it's like nope <laughs> and uh, he's like well that's what i'm brand this will not stand 
and all this aggression will not stand. And was pretty simple. It was basically it didn't matter what the movie was. Uh, we ended up making sure we watched it. That's how we saw mm. movies that became instant classics to each other, but also movies that we both ended up hating, which we usually for the time. <laughs> Artifacts, uh, what was it? Uh, gosh, there was one that you showed, but it wasn't as bad as that. But it was. There was one I showed you and Brittany called Marebito that I know yeah. everyone ended up hating. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it wasn't mm -hmm. one that I had any major love for, but I thought that it was an entertaining movie. It uh, mm -hmm. had a good comedic plot, and it did open me up to watching some other more comedic-style westerns, like, say, Quigley Down Under, for instance, with um, oh, Thomas okay, Ellis. Classic. And, uh, and, of course, the late, um, what's his name, uh, Snape. Uh, oh, Tombstone. No, what was the guy who played The guy who played Snape. I can't think of I always that. forget his goddamn name Snape. anymore. And Russell? No, yeah, Snape. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I thought you said Snape and like in Harry Potter. Snape, like in Harry Potter. Oh, that's uh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, there you oh, go. I used to always know, know that, dude. I used to also villain in that movie, Quigley Dumb. Yeah. I used to always know Alan Rickman, and then my family bombarded me with goddamn Harry Potter, and now all I can think of is Snape every time. I'm watching Die Hard. I'm watching Die Hard, and I'm like, check out, check out Snape right there. And, and immediately, as soon as I said it, I was like, what the fuck? Alan Rickman is the man, though. He is. I'm happy for Library, by the way. And today, I checked in a copy of Galaxy Quest, and I was like, oh, oh, oh my god. Man. You know, uh, well, and let's let's not forget uh, Dogma, where he played the Metatron. Yes. He was really, really funny in that. Or he played the voice robot. Galaxy movie. Quest, though. Galaxy. Galaxy Quest is like right there with Die Hard. Like that's. <laughs> I, I was I was impressed with the fact that like out of all of Kevin Smith's movies, I think Dogma probably had the best overall cast in terms of just it overall. Well, overall caliber of actors and also just oh, people yeah. that wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily expect in a Kevin Smith movie like Alan yes. Rickman, who really got it, and uh, yeah. that just sh showed what a talent he was and how much he's missed. He would have been good in this, yeah. and actually, you know, that's something that I... It's something that my dear intern Cody, it's something that he brought up in the last video, <laughs> was that uh, Mel Gibson, uh, you know, again, he kind of, because of his own personal problems and stuff, he kind of gets associated with a lot of negativity uh, unfairly today, but because mm -hmm. uh, he's done a lot to redeem himself in my eyes mm -hmm. anyway. But um, he always, I think had a great knack for not only action and drama, but also comedy and oh, yeah. often, and oftentimes uh, merging those things together because uh, yeah. he could, what made him unique as a actor and a person is that he could p play characters who are a little crazy, a little kooky, a little like off, off base. You know, he could play those characters really well, but he could blend it yeah. with, a lot of charm with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of p 
panache, a lot of, you know, like, you, you wanted to watch him, even though he was kind of off, you know, like, you wanted mm-hmm. to watch him do his thing, and, um, you know, like, that, that scene is more, like, comedic sides, and then I think that same instinct served him incredibly well when it came to his directorial work, which tended to be period epics, and, you know, and I mean that because he, out of any director I can think of, he understood the mentality of people in those time periods because they, uh, you know, were facing death at every conceivable turn, and when you are facing death at every conceivable turn, you're kind of, you know, you, you're more off-base than you would be if you thought of death as almost optional, as we do uh, today, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um, so I think he really, because he's kind of off-base and perhaps a little crazy relative to most people today, I think he understands uh, the mentality of people in those older times in mm-hmm. his, like, serious epic films, and also... Um, understands how to really make a action film more entertaining, how to make a even a romantic comedy like What Women Want, you know, how to make mm-hmm. that really work, because he, he could play the, you know, chauvinistic uh, business guy who then, you know, gets thrown off his game, and he is, mm-hmm. like, a little crazy. Uh, you know, it's like he can he could do all that really really well, and yeah. I just I think people kind of forget yeah. those those sides of him, and well, uh, you know I would love to. In these days, though, he's probably still kind yeah. of stuck. like this is early nineties now, right? Like yeah. he's yeah. he's just lost the mullet. He's like I can do more than oh, yeah. some goddamn lethal weapon. <laughs> 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 ass and bird on a wire. I don't know. Well, what let's, uh, let's okay. not uh, let's not discount his. Uh, um, his really good accent work because uh, which yeah. he he doesn't really have to do it here, but like I'm thinking, well, in Mad Max because he spent so much time growing up in Australia, um, yeah. you know, he sort of like I, I guess uh, I've heard him described as like Australian American or whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I think he's got a decent amount of you know foot in both camps. Um, like in other, in other words, like when he did the Australian for Mad Max, it did not feel like an American doing a really bad Australian accent. It felt very authentic because, well, guess what? He spent a lot of time there. Right. And then even with the Cockney that he did in um, the Beaver with the Beaver's voice, like yeah. that, that sounded really good. And it's like, right. you know, this is someone who you Actually, well, you can believe you can believe that in a movie yeah. like this where he has to be really quick on his feet, and he has to adopt a persona or try to throw people off to gain the advantage or whatever, you could believe that this kind of person could do that because, well, Mel Gibson shows just what a wide range he has. In the director's commentary for The Beaver, Jodie Foster mentions that some people have asked her, is that Ray Winstone playing The Beaver? (laughs) <laughs> like, no, no, it's Mel Gibson. It's him all the way. But yeah, I mean, Ray Winstone does the Cockney brogue like nobody does. And it's mm-hmm. like the idea that Gibson could nail that to the point where people think it's Winstone. I find that amusing. That is so <laughs> I mean, Brandon, hold up, hold up, bro. 
Brandon, yeah. Brandon, you were trying to get something out a couple of times there. Oh, thanks. Uh, that's, yeah, I was trying to say, it kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that came uh, from uh, Briscoe County Jr., which was mm -hmm. a uh, yes. comedy. Did that come after? I think that came after, didn't it? Briscoe County aired in 93 and 94. Okay. So, Briscoe County was flipping awesome. It was a great yeah. show. It had flavor of that as well, I think. Yes, and actually, that is a good segue into my talk on this. Uh, I've known Maverick for years. This was a favorite of mine. But I actually did watch Briscoe County when it aired. And that might have been part of the reason why I was primed for Maverick. I was ready for it because the character of Dixie Cousins is very similar in a lot of ways to the character of Annabelle Bransford. There's a lot of similarities there. And I actually went to a signing. Bruce Campbell was touring mm -hmm. as Briscoe County Jr. I went to a local mall event and I was so close I could taste it and you can take the birds. We got cut off. <laughs> uh, I was so upset. Oh man, you have no idea. And now I'm even more so now that I know more about who Bruce Campbell is and everything. Oh man, I am birds so I know, bro. Bro, Bruce Campbell lives right over here in Oregon, and it's fairly uh, easy to get him to sign stuff if uh, uh, locally. So he would be Bruce Campbell would be amazing in a western. He was. Yeah. Yeah. You never saw No, I never. It was great. It was you get to discover that now. Holy shit! You're yeah. It's a steampunk western where he plays a U.S. marshal, or rather, the son of a U.S. marshal who was murdered, and he's out basically trying to pick up the pieces. And um, it's got Billy Drago as his nemesis, John Bly. You've got. Um, Kelly Rutherford as this character, Dixie Cousins, who has a lot of similarities with Annabelle Bransford. Mm -hmm. And I had actually been watching Maverick for years. Like I said, for many years, it was a favorite of mine. It was, I don't remember when I mentioned it as my favorite film. I, for a while there, American Beauty was my favorite. Maverick was the one that preceded American Beauty. It's like that movie you, you chuck it in a marathon when your friends are over with like Monster oh, yeah. Death with Steven Seagal and oh, like yeah. some other oh, bullshit yeah. Mighty Ducks or something. You're going to have but, a good night. You know? I mean, it's a William Goldman freaking film. And we mentioned in our discussion last year, we did a discussion on The Princess Bride, and I talked about how much I freaking love William Goldman films, and The Princess Bride is part of the reason why. And William Goldman, the late William Goldman, the brilliant late William Goldman, said that The Princess Bride and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were the only things he was proud of in his life. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Maverick, Misery, and All the President's Men? You should put that yeah. on list too. Just I mean, they were all though. great. Yeah, leaving but, us out there like that. But at any rate, this guy overlooked Maverick. I always overlooked Maverick uh, yeah. myself. Myself. Uh, I know that 
uh, I think my fiance to uh, to uh, told me about it. We watched it once, <laughs> and it, I think it's just I didn't remember watching uh, watching it. Mm. Like uh, until like after I'd watched this, so I guess this wasn't my first time watching the, uh, this film, but it wasn't one that I gravitated towards because right. because I just couldn't see Mel Gibson in the western. And I thought you were a western fan, man. I am a western fan. <laughs> 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 like, like, <laughs> It is a departure for him, I guess. Yes, you know, but yes. we also watched him in Mad Max, which isn't that right. far off from the western. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I, I like, I, I like yeah. that Mel Gibson in this. Like, I like that he, well, he is a capable uh, gunslinger and everything, but he yeah. can't hit shit, especially that, when he's aiming at people. You know, but, <laughs> also, like, but also, like, he doesn't do a lot of the classical western hero things. Like, he doesn't right. wear a cowboy hat. He right. kind of dresses like um, what would have been called in the old days a dandy, you know, meaning exactly. like, uh, well, mm -hmm. in other words, yeah. like, you're very well dressed, very, yeah. not, not like, gay, but just like. In the, in, the in the original Maverick series, I started watching an episode tonight, and I didn't have time to finish it. The character that Ephraim Zimbalas Jr. plays, who of course would eventually become the guy who voiced Alfred Pennyworth in the uh, Batman animated series, Whoa. Ephraim Zimbalas Jr. plays a character named Dandy Jim Buckley. Mm. And he's a flim flam man who is very much right. a dandy. There you go. And he's a foil for Brett Maverick. They're like the two sides of the coin. They're both con men, but Dandy Jim Buckley doesn't have moral scruples, and Brett Maverick is very scrupulous. Right. What, what you got on your hands here okay. is the slip yeah. card player dude that you've seen in exactly. tons of westerns. Really, is just like a right. side character. But he's made the central hero of the story, I guess. And again, in the original series, the Maverick brothers were the beacons of moral decency. In this version, <laughs> in this version, Brett's more of a flimsy man, but he still stands up for what's right. Mm -hmm. And he, and of course James Garner reprising his role essentially as Zane Cooper, but he's kind of reprising his role as the original Brett Maverick, and he is sort of the more even when he's even when he's exposed as the guy who's going to rip off Maverick, he still manages to come out on top at the end because he exposed the real con artist. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. I, I love though I love the movie. But I want to mention more on Brandon's exposure to this because I mentioned Dixie Cousins and her similarities to Annabelle Bransford. <laughs> Brandon decided at the time we had more time. This was before he was with his wife. We had more time. He was showing me shows, not just movies. Shows, yeah, and he showed me Cowboy Bebop, the classic Mitchell Watanabe sci-fi western opera. Just I see where you're going with this. I think yes, 
Yes, and we decided to do a twofer. We watched the Cowboy Bebop movie, Knocking on Heaven's Door, and Maverick yes. as a twofer. That is so badass. And, and not just Annabelle Bransford and Dixie Cousins, but Faye Valentine. Oh. They are that lady, for sure. It fits that archetype perfectly. Dude, mind blown. I actually thought about it. Yes, and I actually created a character for the One Piece game that we played named Connie Bransford. Yeah, that's on those three characters. And she was so big of an impact on me that I still intend when I eventually become a published writer, Connie Bransford and her daughter, Annabelle Valentine, will be characters in my series. They were very much based on that archetype. And I I love that pairing. If you've never done that pairing, you should do it now. It sounds amazing. And if you've never watched Cowboy Bebop, do it now. It sounds like that's that's amazing. amazing. (laughs) Actually, uh, actually, watching the show, Annabelle is loosely based on a character from the series. There's a series, there's a character from the original series named Samantha Crawford. She has four appearances. I've seen two of them so far. One with Brett and one with Bart. And she is a con artist who manages her first appearance as a series is an episode called According to Hoyle, where she invokes Hoyle to screw Brett out of tons of money. Oh <laughs> and it's interesting. It's well, dude, interesting. even at the at the end of the movie, not to skip too far ahead, but I guess we're yeah. kind of jumping around. Uh, yeah. They do kind of end it on that, like it'll be fun to get get the money back from her, exactly. kind of a note, you know, yes. where it's like you can tell that's in just based on their relationship in the film. Um, what you were saying earlier about how there should have been a sequel, there could have been a sequel. Oh, easily. Easily. Yes. Easily. I could, dude, we could sit here and spitball sequels for days for shit like this. That's the beauty of it because it is like based on sort of a serialized thing. Exactly. It's easy to take those characters and envision them and yeah. getting into different hijinks, you know what I mean? And actually, given that uh, association with uh, Ray Winstone, how about Ray Winstone playing a Maverick cousin in in some future sequel? I mean, (laughs) it could be fun, you know? (laughs) Dude, they could have done, like, a whole one that was about them on a train during a train robbery. Like, Uh they wanted to gimmick it up like they did. Uh They could have done, like, the Maverick version of Under Siege, and it would have fucking killed (laughs) us. Well, Dark Territory. I always love that movie. I thought it was underrated. Yeah, hey, that was a, a quote that I quoted so many times. It was like Eric Bogosian is like, "Did you see the body?" No. <laughs> as much as I love seeing Tommy <laughs> Lee get a fucking knife right into the top of his skull. What's up? Um, as much as I love seeing Tommy Lee get a knife rammed into the top of his skull and then <laughs> pushed into a computer monitor or whatever the fuck. Yes. Uh, under you had the better knife fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it had that one quote, like, assumption is the mother of all. Assumption. 
Yeah. And I'm like, that is a, that was my introduction to that quote. And I'm like, oh, I love that. He he fights the dude in the gimp suit from People Under the Stairs. Fucking sign me up. So anyway, um, so I guess that's enough of the intro. We're 45 minutes in and we're just still finishing the intro. Well, did, you, uh, did you guys notice how, uh, speaking of anime and this movie, did you guys notice that, uh, well, this was this would have been before this show would have uh, come, at least to the United States, and I'm pretty sure in Japan, but, like, um, if you noticed, uh, <laughs> Maverick had to trust in the heart of the cards, like in Yu-Gi-Oh! to get the cards he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I I'm still, I'm still a bit of a noob when it comes to you. Someone needs to fucking like meme that up, dude. Where they oh, have no. Egyptian cards or whatever. After yeah. he, he, does <laughs> that, he does do that thing of now. Well, I mean now, that kid, that was uh, I believed that yeah. if I'm not hard enough, I could cut to any card I wanted. Basically, no, I can do that. Chris didn't always work. Well, but that's that's the thing. So, I like, like how he in, follows that up with actually it never worked. Like even yeah, in his exactly. normal narration of his life, he's like uh, now well, but, we yeah. in the original in the original cut of the film, there was going to be a scene with him meeting with a hermit where he actually made it more or less work. That would be fucking amazing, like some card cutters. I kind of like it better the way they did it though. But yes. it suddenly made it work when it really counted. It reminds you know? me of a Wes Anderson film, the way that they uh, scripted that. Any of them, because we think about it, we could see that from most of the films, but I could especially see something like, uh, okay, like a fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> Can you see them playing a poker game together, and he's just like saying, you know, and of course I just thought to myself, I could probably guess that card. You know, and just... Yeah. The way that he could do it, just the way that they presented it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what what would happen on Yu-Gi-Oh is that, um, and they they like abused the hell out of that storytelling. <laughs> but what would happen was so the characters would be in a duel, like a you know, it's, it was a basically it was like Pokemon, like the like the the Pokemon card game, basically, but with uh, it's called Duel Monsters in the show, but of course. The kids like me and um, the people my age, they we would you know get the Yu-Gi-Oh cards and play you know like that. Anyway, uh, so every time they would do a duel and our heroes, you know, they were getting close to you know not being able to win or whatever. They would always say, "I have to trust in the heart of the cards." And as soon as they said that, yeah, then of course they get it all the time in school. It'd be like heart of the cards because the, the guy exactly. in the first episode yeah. says it like he's like. The heart of the cards. Uh, yeah, it's just like. Well, I was just like, so what? You just gotta say it, and all of a sudden you get the cards. Yeah, you want. Pretty much, and you'd be like, heart of the cards, and you just fucking do something stupid. I know. So, it yeah. just it made me laugh, and so I saw this. I was like, oh man, the <laughs> Maverick beat him to it. <laughs> See, we're probably on the same wavelength yeah. with that one, Dan. I think these other guys are kind of like, oh god, I run. I'm gonna get what this is, but. You're talking anime, and it's like that's anime from when I was a kid. <laughs> right. no, I just don't want to see the, the, the Maverick Yu Gi Oh parody now. That would be awesome. Let's start at the beginning then. So, at the beginning of the film, 
you have this very western scene. You have this very much like out of an old school western scene where Maverick is, has a noose around his neck and he's got his hands tied behind his back. He's on horseback and you got this really swarthy looking dude just kind of staring at him and saying like, you know, um, you know, if you hadn't done what you've done, I don't let you live, but now I won't. <laughs> and then, I can't know, leave you here by yourself. Here's some company. Thought, yeah, exactly. He leaves a bag of rattlesnakes for him. And oh. so, you know, I thought he might have been teasing. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, you know, Lord, he's got the news rising. Lord, uh, whatever I've done to piss you off, um, if you let me know what it is, I promise to uh, rectify the situation. <laughs> so and then he said, "Make the flashback boat," and it's a great flashback. Of course, it's just been a shitty week from the beginning. Actually, though, they missed on a great opportunity <laughs> that you got to see later on in the Coen Brothers film, where he sort of like gone up to the noose again, and then yeah. turned the guys like. First time? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so basically he was like, yeah, of course my horse was stolen from me and I had to ride into town on something less than a thoroughbred. So he rides in on a donkey. <laughs> and then he's like, teeny tiny donkey. <laughs> teeny tiny donkey. And then you got this crazy like, how much? By the week, by the day, week, a month. No, no, not just how much to take him. How much to take him? That's, that bottle ain't worth a dollar. Well, sir, you got yourself a deal. <laughs> so he like pays him a dollar to take the borough. And then he got, he hey, if, he, the, if he talked like Eddie Murphy, it would have been worth more than that. So he's basically in the, uh, I think it's Crystal, Crystal Springs, I think is the name of the town. He has to hold up for the night because his business can't take place until the morning. The bank is closed. So he joins a poker game. And he joins a poker game that features Annabelle Bransford, a kid named Johnny Harden, who is based on an actual gunfighter named Johnny Harden, uh, Angel, and uh, who is played by Alfred Molina. Incidentally, Annabelle Bransford is played by uh, Jodie Foster. And you also have two bit players who are well-known character actors. Art LaFleur has been in a ton of stuff over the years. And Leo Gordon had an original role in Maverick as Big Mike McComb. He showed up in five episodes and wrote four others. So you have a very interesting group around the table. And Maverick first, uh, he's like, he comes up to the table. Is this seat taken? Please, and that dude that he bumped into at the and, he's like, and then Angel's like I like the game just the yeah. way it is he's not about it at all yeah. uh, I bring all sorts of pleasantries to the table I hardly ever bluff and I never ever cheat but Phil says I don't believe it he's like well neither do I <laughs> and he's like now gentlemen I think I could change your mind I promise to lose for at least an hour 
I love the white guy that says my kind of poker player. <laughs> I love when he takes out his pocket watch and checks it like exactly. all night, you know, like he's serious. He joins the, ga- the game, and the first thing he does is he has his cards facing outside so everyone can see. <laughs> yeah. and, then he, and then, of course, Annabelle leans over. He did promise to lose for at least an hour. I am a man of my word. Yeah. <laughs> and so he does. He loses. And all the while, he's studying them. He is, as he explains later, I was learning your tells. Yep. But the first role he has is with Johnny Harden, and that's when he finally wins a hand. And this is a line I have used many times over the years. Gentlemen, I don't think this hand should count. What, oh, uh, we have any logical reason why not? My mind yeah, wasn't was in the game. game. Yeah. I've used that so many times. My mind wasn't in the game. He looks like you're, I mean, I don't know how close he looks to the actual guy, but I've noticed know. like a lot of those famous gunfighter guys are like weird looking dudes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, that's it, actually it, what, it, what it, I was, was going to say. The, uh, I liked that character for the simple reason that a lot of, well, people in general, but especially like you know, criminals, outlaws, tough guys of that period, like based on the photos mm-hmm. we have, they were not really handsome guys. They were pretty ugly. Yeah, and I feel like there's a correlation with, like, the school yeah. shooter kids. Like, back in the day, they would have been those yeah. assholes that shot a couple of people and then eventually got gunned down. From what I read, the original Johnny Harden was done down by someone he hired to gun down uh-huh. else. <laughs> so, but I love I love that whole thing of my mind wasn't in the game. And then so Maverick of course bitches out because that was a trait of the original Maverick. He would do everything he could to avoid a gunfight. He would do everything he could to avoid a gunfight. And actually, he sums it up in the movie. My old pappy used to say, he who fights and runs away can run away another day. Yeah, he's a slippery slippery snake. He's not a mangy mongoose, you know what I mean? Exactly. But then he challenges Johnny. He's like, now if I were to go up to you, now I am a gambler. I'd like to become an old gambler. Now you, on the other hand, you're a gunfighter. An exceptional one from what I hear. Now, if I were to go up against you, what chance would I have? None. Absolutely none whatsoever. And he says this as he pulls his gun. Like, gee. Yeah, oh, it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. He baits him as he's saying this. He's like. Because he's waving his hands around and stuff during the scene. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm just. I forget what he. I forget the word he uses when he first stands up and he holds the gun. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not trying to start anything. He he says some old tiny word for basically I'm just exactly. talking with my hands, you know. Exactly. And, and then he I'm just trying to expound. I think is yeah, exactly yeah that exactly. <laughs> and he's like I'm just you know. And then he's doing the whole talking with his hands thing, and he pulls whips yeah. the fucking gun like gunslinger style. And exactly. That's so badass. And then I love 
obviously skipping ahead a bit later when they reveal right. <laughs> when he reveals that he, he can't actually sh- hit anything. Right, he's just super right. fast and drawing the gun. He's like, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm the fastest draw there is, but I can't hit shit, especially with real people I'm hitting. Apparently, in the original series, uh, I believe it was Bart Maverick who said that my brother is the is faster than me any day of the week. And he's the second slowest draw in the West. (laughs) I have to to say, I really, really love the fact that instead of like your usual gunfight, which, you know, we got when we get those later on, but like in the opening there, I'm really, really glad that we got to see something different, which was like a big sort of, it was like about as close to like the martial arts scene as you could get without it actually being a martial arts yes. scene. It's like the, it's the classic, you know, one guy taking on several guys thing, but it's... To scare it's, the it's, other dude. Like that well, is... If anybody plays with him, yeah. He gets him to back down. He gets him to tuck tail. And back <laughs> Dude, that's that exists like in martial like, arts uh, movies. You know. what, what, what is it? Um, we, uh, what, what was it, stud? I think I prefer to draw. And he looks straight at him. And the guy's uh, like, and then you made, it's like an old man joke and all those other guys. I found it refreshing that you had, um, well, a, uh, a fist fight of sorts, but, you know, something that was like equal parts, uh, you know, comedic and mm-hmm. equal parts, uh, you know, really smart on his part. Like he, he had that, as a character, he had that right balance of very intelligent, but also really goofy and like cowardly yet brave at the same like in the same action really and um, you know you just I, I've never quite seen a character like that and I thought that was pretty that was very good writing right, and, yeah. uh, and, and like the whole way that they do the because at that point if you're going into the movie blind he seems like he might actually be legitimately dangerous too which yeah. he probably is and isn't you know yeah, he's, uh, he's, da- he's dangerous in, like, a different sort of way, like, in a way that you don't expect, because, again, like, Clint Eastwood never would have thrown a fit that his uh, expensive shirt got shrunk uh, in the washer. And, uh, and you, know, you jumped ahead a little bit, but you had the part where the, the, the guys, the, the swarthy band of miscreants runs in and is like, when I saw you through the window, you made me believe the almighty... <laughs> and then they make this fisticuffs in the street. And then, so first of all, you have that great scene where he gives his gun belt to these kids. And he's like, if these fellows get to whooping me, you have my permission to shoot me. Which is very, very wild samurai like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, so he goes like up against these guys, beats the crap out of them. You see these reaction shots from Annabelle and Angel where they're both kind of like, Oh, well, maybe this guy isn't a coward. And then he goes in, Shit, my shirt's damaged! And then he goes up against Angel. You! You said something. You said, you called me a coward. No, no, I might say cheat. I might say gutless cheat, but I didn't say a coward. Cheat! Yeah. I 
I'm seizing you. Seizing. <sighs> I don't like being teased. <laughs> I feel like the angel just go totally white. <laughs> And then he's just throwing them through the next little puppet sit down. And the other kid's like, I'm going to leave y'all for the night. Like, I, I, I think he says, I'm through with y'all for the night. Yeah, Johnny does. Johnny leaves, yeah. But I love that part where, where Maverick backs Angel against the wall. Teasing. I don't like being teased. <laughs> and then he he's like, oh, I was just teasing you. <laughs> Well, um, Riggs would do that same kind of thing to some sweet tops where he would do like the crazy yes. man three studio yeah. routine and then all of a sudden pull out a gun yeah. on him. So, I mean, yeah. you know, he did that kind of thing in both of them. There were a few lethal weapon refs. Some parallels, you know, yeah. but I mean, I think with this, it's more of a, an occasion because uh, that whole sequence where he pulls the gun on the guy. Like sets up the the different comedic nature of the character. It wasn't and later there. on when it's revealed it's that you can't actually day. hit anything, that makes it even better. You know? The next day when he goes to the bank though, and the bank is held up, and the bank robbers, one of them is Danny Glover. And you also have Roy Feldman, who we just watched in Rock and Roll High School Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, country star Hal Ketchum. The three of them are bank robbers. Wow. And, yeah, and you've got Danny Glover comes up. He holds up the bank. And then Ma- and Maverick looks at him funny. He pulls his scarf down. Nah. Yeah, and I then love then that. Glover and it's so nah. That's and, uh, I was like not a fan of it, bro, because I feel like it was handled so gracefully in that one scene. Like if they had just left it at that, it would have been perfect. Uh, I think that was funny. I mean, I was just glad to see him, and I was like, oh, I see. Oh, for sure. But adding to this, it's I'm getting too old for this shit. Like that, that for me was too much. You know, I had forgotten that Donna was involved with Goonies. That explains Feldman's involvement, definitely. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of country stars in there, which is part of Ketchum being in there. He was on the soundtrack. Like, I, looked it up, I, I looked it up yeah. later, and apparently there were a lot of cameos of all, of all kinds. Like, there were... Yeah. A lot of old Western stars. Yeah, and, and people that had worked with Richard Donner in the past on some level or and another. several people who this was their last film role. I mentioned that first cameo, that first poker tournament had Leo Gordon, who played Big Mike P- McComb in the original series. Denver Pyle, who played uh, Briscoe Darling on the Andy Griffith show has a role in the All River Tournament as the old man gets thrown off the boat for cheating. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple oh, of other Yeah, that was a great... That was that great. <laughs> we'll get to more of that later. But, um, and then there were a few other people where this was their last film role, and a lot of them were just... And now, I only really recently realized that Reba McIntyre is apparently in that original poker sequence, mm. uh, which, again, 
previous movie galore, uh, hearkening back to our uh, Tremors discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, John Fogarty was one of the spectators for that fight sequence in this train. John Fogarty of Credence, for those of uh, Clearwater. Yes, I meant to say earlier uh, to uh, Brandon. I'm on the corner. Yeah. I meant to say earlier with uh, Brandon's fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, uh, yes. Speaking uh, of the voice of Mr. Fox, uh, he would, he happened to be in Ocean's Eleven, which was a card game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, our, our prior one to this was The Beaver, which was by Jodie Foster, and her follow-up to that film was Money Monster, which featured George Clooney. So, yeah, there definitely are some uh, parallels there. But how do they all tie back to Kevin Bacon? (laughs) They do. You know they do. (laughs) Actually, like I said, you know, Kevin Bacon, of course, starred in Tremors. There you go. (laughs) There we are. (laughs) So, at any rate, um, so after that first sequence and the bank sequence, you have the part where Maverick is accosted by the people who he beat up the night before. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get a very direct reference to the TV series and one of my favorite lines in the movie. These guys, they crowd him up and they're like, you know, like, oh, man, you know, I'm doing this to you? No. You lost. What was it, $10 a beating? Was that what it was? $5 a beating? I can't remember. $5 a beating. Well, gentlemen, I was just in the bank, and you may not believe this, but they not only cleaned it up, they cleaned me out. Dad puts a gun to his head. Blowing my head off won't make you any richer. Sure gonna make me feel better. Yeah. And so he pulls his coat open, he opens up. One of the things in the series was both Brett and Bart always had a $1,000 bill pinned to the inside of their coat. In this case, it was a $100 bill. But anyway, he's like, oh, Jim, I, I honestly forgot. I always keep a $100 bill pinned to my coat for such a rainy day occasion. And then you get the gray line. Well, it's a good thing because it was clouding up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he takes more than $100 from them. I don't know how much he takes from them. I have some confusing math and maybe one day I love that. I love that. Yeah, when Angel accosts them, they're like, he paid us good too, a hundred dollar bill. They totally forgot how much they paid him. <laughs> yeah, and then the fact that their math was wrong because uh, I think there was like five of them, and they're like, "That's twenty-five yeah. a piece." Exactly. that's a good day's work. Each gentleman should see me first. I would have let you fall down for free. <laughs> okay. See, here's my biggest issue with the logic of the film, but I guess I can excuse it. Is that he absolutely fucks those guys up. Yes. So why was he afraid of Maverick because he was able to? I would have figured it would have been like a Dragon Ball Z Kung Fu movie moment where they're like, damn. 
yeah. know, fight, motherfucker, and then he just beat the shit out of them, you know. I like, do why? think there's a little bit. I'm not fully kind of in my mind. I'm not fully um, figured out exactly. There's a telegraph that arrives halfway through the film where it says, keep Maverick out of the game. And it's obvious the angel was already against him. And the Commodore says says as much at the end. He says angel was already working for him. So he couldn't kill him yet. So you wonder what the importance of that telegram really was. Well, I think they need what. I wonder about that. I don't know. They either didn't want him. Okay, because it seems like the way the movie played out, which I'm sure we'll get to, is -hmm. that they needed him either out of the game or they needed him to win so they could rob him. Right. Uh, and now, of course, so we didn't really say this, but of course, when Angel is first introduced, it's right after Maverick sells the burrow, and he runs face-to-face with him. First time I slapped eyes on the zombie, I smelled trouble. And refried beans. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably not the most appropriate way to put it, but whatever. That's the way it was. Well, but, but, uh, yeah, but by contrast, you have to admit with the... Uh, you know, the Native American thing, like, that was handled, I've never seen a, that, that was handled really well, really cleverly, really, like, I haven't haven't really gotten to that, but yes, I love that whole thing. First of all, Graham Greene, now, I know Graham Greene is the go-to guy, if you want a Native American in your movie, Graham Greene is the go-to guy, but he is awesome, (laughs) and he is so good as Joseph. And I love the uh, the stuff that Maverick does because Annabelle basically they put the lines in her mouth to show the prejudice against Native Americans, mm-hmm. and I love the way Maverick tweaks her. And one of my favorite parts in the movie is where he's like, "Well, they may be just dimples in the dirt to you, Miss Transfer, but these are shod ponies, and Indians don't chew their ponies." Or the Indians, they probably just stole the ponies. Not everybody's like you, Mrs. Bransford. <laughs> <laughs> well, that my favorite line was the fact that they were uh, intru- they were intruding on our land before we got here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't want to say that. It's like, she says, what is it with you and Indians anyway? And he's like, well, nothing. I like to shoot one before breakfast. What about you, Coop? I figure it's their fault too for being on our land before we got here. Yeah, like see, that's that's great yeah. writing, you know. Like yeah. that's well, that's a way that you can like no, normally. Normally, I like um, you know when movies adhere to the you know historical uh, well prejudices of a particular time period with like with in a dramatic film. It's like even the best amongst them more than likely would have been at least a little prejudice relative to today. Now, if you're doing like a more comedic kind of thing, you know, I don't it's, it's it best. That. I took it as like almost sarcasm. Like they're right. basically saying like, oh no, you know, this is why people well, hate them. 
You know, and it's obviously both. He's obviously both with Joseph, even though he doesn't really trust Joseph. And Joseph yeah, doesn't really, really trust him. anyone. They all nobody trusts anybody in this thing. But my my point yeah. is that if you're doing like a more lighthearted comedic thing, yeah. and you don't want it to be like a full blown spoof, I think this was a good way to do that because it feels like it's. You know, it's it's uh, such that the modern audience can find it funny, but it's not right. so uh, out of the realm of possibility for someone to have said it's not so like painfully winking right. to the camera or anything like that. Like I could buy like there would be that one guy who you know maybe he wouldn't be like a uh, I don't know if there I don't know if there was like a Native American equivalent of like an abolitionist or something, but like. Uh, it, I don't think he would have been quite like that, but you could have had that guy who would have, you know, had the gift of gab and would have just found exactly. different ways to troll people, you yeah. know, and to use their own logic against them and things like that. So I, that's that's what I thought was really smart about it. Like it doesn't feel, yeah. it doesn't feel like a 21st century person being transplanted back to that time period, like a lot of movies do with their characterizations and dialogue like they don't feel like they're enough of in the period and i felt like that was just the right it was in it, but it was like yeah it was yeah. also you know depending on how you want to interpret it a good joke yeah and there, and there, and you could more... believe you could believe that there would be that one guy yeah. who would just be that that asshole to uh, turn their logic back around yeah. on them, you know. And they and they, and they definitely uh, they put they tweaked that a lot with the whole archduke. We'll get to him in a minute. That's but like awesome. one of one of the more poignant. Hold up! Hold up! Hold up! Hold up! What's up, Brenda? Uh, I was just going to try to say uh, before we moved on from it that there have been characters similar to that in the past Indian, yeah. Indian not quite not quite as uh, obvious as it was there but yeah. still uh, a good, we, we referenced Blazing Saddles there was a, that mm -hmm. was a good example of one that was similar and, that, and, and done tongue in cheek but if you want to go back to the time of Maverick, go back to the series F Troop. That's a good example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, was the, what was the line in um, in Blazing Saddles? It was something like they're describing all the people of like they're just good salt to the earth people or whatever. It was like a long line. You know, morons. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, um, I, I, I and we we kind of skipped a little bit of the scene. I want to come back to, but there was one part that was very poignant that I thought was kind of an earnest line in the movie, and that was the part where Maverick looks around. He's like, "Well, you guys sure do pick the spots," and Joseph's like. Yeah, well, I tell you, next time you people come and drive us up off our land, I'm going to pick a piece of swamp land so God awful, maybe then you people will leave us the hell alone. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, but on the other hand, it's very poignant. It really makes you yeah. think. It's like, and unfortunately, yeah. kind of true. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, well, that's that's just it shows that uh, well, William Goldman obviously 
did his... Uh, right. You, you would have to do your homework on the realities of the... Uh, yeah, it's a deep well, cut, the, for sure. Well, the, right. the, it's basically the, the genocide that was done against oh, the Native Americans. And, uh, you know, but, but, you know, again, with any anything sure. dark about history, you know, and there's a lot of darkness in history, yeah. you know, you, you, there are ways to make it funny while speaking to the truth of what happened, and that's a good way to do it. You well, know? at the same time, if you were like some card-gambling, con-man, eccentric character, do you mm-hmm. honestly think your life would be tempered with stories of all these... Like, you would have been fucking gallivanting through that shit, like, what, what... Oh, sorry, dead Indians, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and, and unfortunately, that's the reality of it. The episode and that I... probably wouldn't be thinking about that shit. The episode that I almost watched tonight, that I didn't quite finish because reasons, and I'll come back to it. The episode I almost watched tonight was Brett and Bart Maverick had been pressed into service by the Union Army army, in their quest to fight the natives. And they were pressed into service to run a cattle drive through Comanche territory because they knew the territory. So in the original series, there was definitely a lot of the Maverick brothers knew the natives, they knew their customs, they knew their land. They, there. I haven't come across an episode yet where they were really friends with anyone like they were with Joseph, like that was with Joseph. But the there is the precedent in the series that they had that Indian familiarity. You know what I mean? Well, so yeah, I mean, that, if you if you yeah. think on it as like were it a realistic thing, maybe they right. wouldn't have shown that at the time when they made those original series, but right. it would have existed, you know. Right. But like, anyway, I do want to back up a little bit because before we get to Joseph, we have the whole sequence of Brett and Annabelle and Coop on the the um, ferry. And, of course, we have the scene before that. And this is the scene that I think was obliquely referenced in The Beaver, which was where, after the game, Brett meets uh, Annabelle. She's trying to skip town. He catches her. She's throwing her bags out the window. (laughs) And he's like, Annabelle. I'd like you to do something for me. And he starts disrobing. Oh, how dare you? Not in a million years. I love it. You know, I don't want to go to bed with you, lady. I don't want want you to see this motherfucking (laughs) shirt. I don't want to go to bed with you, lady. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, that's so classic. (laughs) She wants it, dude. I mean, the banter back and forth throughout this entire movie is so solid. And I still say Jodie Foster missed her calling as a comedic actress. Seriously, she really, yeah, she, really she did. did. She was nailing it in this. Well, she's just a good actress in general. I mean, but like, so that yeah. whole scene, though, and then afterwards, where <laughs> after he like snaps his face like, and gets the wallet, obviously, he tips her into the window know. first. Oh yes, yeah, she came to his room and tried to steal his wallet, and he accosts her for being a thief, and yeah. then she comes back and succeeds. She was oh, no, he was good. Just, she, 
not just she's saying not just good. She talks to me to making out again, and then she fucking <laughs> jacks and, and, and I real. See, this is another line I've used many times. Yeah. Damn, or what? Well, you're just so irritating and and likable. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I mean, they had great chemistry together. I mean, yes. like I can, I can see why. Like, because, like you had said in a previous episode, that like on paper you would think that they wouldn't like each other, and yet you know you could really tell that they, they must yeah. have had a great time filming yeah. this, and their chemistry is so genuine and palpable, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, in both movies, in, in different ways, mm-hmm. of course, um, mm-hmm. very different, very different characters. But um, mm-hmm. you know, like you can see the sincerity there, and um, you know, it's uh, it, it's such that you know, the, it, it's a. I think it's a great thing that you can have people that are so opposite on paper, and yet. Not We're only so do they well together, man. Well, that yeah. not, not only work together on screen, but then, like when the chips were down for Mel in his own personal crises, yeah, uh, she got him in on the beef. And well, she, she, Robert Downey Jr., and Whoopi Goldberg—they all came to his aid, and you know, it, it just yeah, showed. That aside, though, if you really are just looking at these two movies. Holy mm-hmm. shit! That's 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 kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I just think that again, it just the on and off screen sincerity there is really a kind of unheard of relative to all of the yes. fair fair weather friendships that you see yeah. in, in well, not, not only in Hollywood mm-hmm. but in the rest of the world. Yes. Like I've had so many people that in my life that wouldn't have come to my aid when no, the chips were down. No, yeah. Us with that fucking beef. I don't think. I mean, maybe we know those people now, but I feel what you're saying, bro. Well, my my point is where it's like not a motherfucker would have done that. Well, that's my my point is like you know the the fact that they did come to his aid amidst all of the um, backlash that they would have gotten. You know, like again, that it says that they're that they know the real person more so than uh, the public would have and mm-hmm. and that the quality of the friendship is so strong and real that they will stand up for something and someone and it's like that's that's such that mm-hmm. shows a lot of courage, it shows a lot of character and it uh, it's it's what I would want from my friends if I were if my back was right. up against the wall. So it's also, it's especially like this too. You know, it's like it's also, it's also especially interesting given how antagonistic Maverick and Annabelle are for much of the film. Because mm-hmm. it's like when they get on the fair. Well, first of all, he's like, "Well, I want you to do something for me." So he gives her his lucky shirt to clean. And then the next day, after the whole fiasco at the bank, he comes back to his room and he finds his lucky shirt wrapped up all neat and nice. And he goes to put it on, and it's short. She's hemmed it so that it's too short to fit his length of his arms. And he goes, he sees her running down the road toward the ferry. You wait! And he goes, Yes, he goes running after her, and he's like, "You do this to me, 
Yeah, you bet I did. Do you know where your shirt comes from, lady? <laughs> Paris, France. And she was like, well, why don't you go to the nearest? Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. He says, France, Paris, France. <laughs> you know where my underwear comes from? New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she's like, well, why don't you go to the nearest drag goods store and try the kitty department? Me, just about hauls off and hit her. Remove your hand from the lady. And that's where we met James Garner as Marshall Zane Cooper, who basically is the original Brett Maverick. Basically, the way he plays Zane Cooper, it's the original Brett Maverick. And Garner has said as much too. in interviews. Yeah, pretty much. Like, total straight arrow, constantly the, the, the paragon of moral virtue. But, you know, he is involved in cards and that kind of thing. And then, of course, this starts a stream of great asides that Maverick has about Annabelle there's one part, you know, the old dude who rides the stage, they come to find him like, why does everybody ask me that? Get me up there all young time. <laughs> and, then, and, it's like, and then, the, and then they, the ferry, the uh, stagecoach takes off. The thief and the old guy find it kind of bumpy back here. <laughs> what do you think of the all stagecoach? <laughs> I mean, it's real. Oh, that was great. That was great. And it's like when you were at the end of it where he gets thrown uh, almost yeah. off the cliff and he's like, don't you ever try to help me again. After he gets up that, what, that Mel Gibson freak out, like that so yes. weapon right there yes. where, it's, where it's like moving his fingers. And, and both of them, both Coop and Annabelle have that ungrateful <laughs> But then you get a taste of how Annabelle's mercenary character, where they're burying the guy. Well, someone should probably say something nice about the deceased. Well, how do we know he's deceased? I don't know. How do we know he's nice? Only thing he's got in his wallet. Of course, she looked at his wallet. His list names. Oh, he, a <laughs> I thought that guy was like a legend right there. I was like, yeah. exactly. I bet if he had money, if he had money, she would have said nothing about the whorehouses. I guarantee you that. You know something about pounding the pillow, Cody? <laughs> well, there was some pillow pounding going on the on the boat there, you know. And of course, there was an ulterior motive. She was away from you know, the table. What if you're watching right now? Virtual wheel. Little puppet bastard. There's nothing wrong with the wheel. I got a real good close look at the wheel from underneath. (laughs) (laughs) I love love the part where he gets up there. I love the part where he gets up there and he throws the guy back. And he's hanging over the side. And Maverick. (laughs) And then then Annabelle smacks him. You broke me in the head. Oh, I love that when he pops back down. She's like smacking him multiple times in the face. Yeah. And then, of course, they sing Amazing Grace because they don't know what else to do. And that, of course, comes back later in the film in in wonderful ways. But, uh, yeah, so then they come across the wagon train. And that's where you see, I don't know if you noticed, Mary, Margaret, and Margaret Mary. 
Did you recognize either of them? Because one of them, I think it's Margaret Mary. I can't remember which one because they, they run together in my mind. I think it's Margaret Mary, the one who had the wedding dress that was missing. was actually Margot Kidder. Lois Lane. There you go. Yes. So nice little Superman reference there. I love that. And she was playing a very crazy woman. <laughs> Let me just say this before we get into the scene, the soundstage vibe of the next sequence that we're going to talk about is absolutely yeah. delicious. Can you guys hear it? It feels like it was shot on the soundstage, was it not? Oh, the whole uh, around the campfire thing? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. So basically, this wagon train was a tra uh, supposedly a attacked by engines. And they took the music box and the wedding dress that this one was going to have for when she got married, yeah. and she is not a she's not a winner. Let's put it that way. I remember one of those. They took all her money. What was it? Was it thirty thousand? Something like that. I think it was thirty thousand. It's like what? And Annabelle pops in. What kind of animal are you? Is that thirty thousand? <laughs> but actually. Annabelle, you notice in the film, Annabelle is prone to pratfalls. It's actually a kind of an amusing little aside. Apparently, one of the first scenes they filmed was Brett helping Annabelle down from the stagecoach, where she puts out her hands and he grabs her parasol, and she has to get down on her own. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently she that her her ripping her dress as she fell was unscripted and Richard Donner liked it so much he decided she needed to be clumsy in the film so he filmed a whole bunch of pratfalls from Annabelle because of that accident that's funny let's film you fucking up some more you know? Exactly, yes. But I love that. But she puts her hands out with the parasol and Brett grabs the parasol. <laughs> and it fits perfectly with his whole tweaking her for being a thief and a con artist. You know, he doesn't treat her like a lady after that first scene. And it's not because he's a bastard, it's because he's realized she's a thief. And I just, I, I, I don't typically go for bullying, but I feel like she deserved it in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what it was that we're, what I was watching recently where someone was like, I don't know what the fuck it was, man. But yeah. someone said some shit like, a woman's suffering is never entertaining. Yes, and someone that was the worst one. Questions. That was from was this, that from this? It, yes, it was Annabelle is talking and she's like crying oh, and, and Maverick is like now I can't quite place your accent, Mrs. Bransford. Oh, what about yeah. uh, you have been to Mobile? Oh, you oh, can never get she gets all weird when he asks her about yeah. it. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean Mobile, Alabama? Oh, hell, I've been there. I'll bet we know some of the same people. He's smart. And he, oh, he goes, 
Oh, weird that I forgot that that was from this movie. Yeah. But that that's cool. The same thing. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> a woman's suffering is not a funny thing, Birdie Boy. Yeah, there are exceptions. Watch your bill fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes it is a bit funny. It's like I said, he's straight up bullying her, but he's doing it in a way where he's tweaking her for being a thief. And yes. he deserves it. It's like, and my favorite, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is where she gets kicked out of the big game. Oh, well, I just pretend like I was playing with someone else's money. It shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but anyway, um, so... We've got I the, love the strategy of just throwing them overboard to the goddamn cheaters. So they go after these so-called engines, and then you have that great scene that we talked about, we alluded to before, where they're, quote, tracking them. And that was the part where he's like, not everybody's like you, Mrs. Bransford. And he's like, oh, you see that hawk? Oh, don't shoot the hawk. No, I'm not going to shoot the hawk. You know what the hawk means? What? Absolutely nothing. But you didn't know. Oh, he's trolling her all the time <laughs> until he lays down. That's he was totally trolling her. He's totally trolling her that whole time. She's trying to prove that she deserves the money. And he's like, what are you going to do for your money? So then they meet the people around the campfire. And first of all, he has the discussion with Coop and Annabelle. Now, this ain't going to be another wheel coming off, right? You're going to have my bat in. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I love yeah. that part. Where it goes like, that was about broken bones. This is about dying. Yeah. And he, exactly. he takes her gun. And then he goes in and addresses the people. Oh, listen up. Wake up, folks. Okay, so uh, each of you has got a gun pointing to your pretty little head. Whistle, folks. And then they can't whistle. What is this, another wheel coming off? Clap if you can't whistle. <laughs> and that's how they start clapping really perfect. You know, the first one you got after you is Marshall Zane Cooper. Now I know what you're thinking. He guns his food and his swim. But <laughs> he can still shoot straight. And after him is the ugly Annie Bransford. She, she was born since <laughs> ugly. Parents had to tie a pork chop around her neck so the Oh, I love that like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, you're all right, Bart. I think that was the only mention of Bart in the whole film. Actually, that was. <laughs> I think she doesn't. She or she always calls him Bert. She calls him Bert. Yeah, she keeps calling him Bert, and that was it. So they take these guys in, and then you know. Well, if it wasn't them, then who do you suppose was beating all them drums? Annabelle's, or maybe it was them. And you see the Indians led by Joseph. And then you get the great scene where Brett is talking with Joseph in the Indian tongue, and no one else has any idea what he's saying. And he was like, Oh, point at her. Say you want her. I do want her. Is she available? That's <laughs> <laughs> classic. And then he does this great thing where uh, he is basically gaslighting them in order to gaslight everyone else. And um, and he has this, you see this, what he did? 
they they cut off both your hands. If you don't make a sound, you pass. <laughs> and so he goes to do the Indian bravery test. And that's what I'm saying. I wonder if the beaver was a callback to this whole idea. In in the sense that he did cut off his hand. And there's the scene later on the riverboat where Brett meets Annabelle. Well, I'm not exactly a whole man. And he puts up one hand. And he yeah. puts up the one where... He, and she's like... <gasps> and then he puts up the hand. She's yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if they intentionally call back to that with the beaver. I think I, it has I, to I be, dude. Be, it has to be. I think it's great if they did. <laughs> I don't see any way that couldn't be a callback to them. Yeah. You know? But I love the part before he goes off to be with the Indians. He has a great parting line to Annabelle. Uh-huh. Well, now if they cut my hands off, my luck is sort of thick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's like, talk about making her feel terrible. <laughs> so there's some good stuff there. And he meets Joseph and. Yeah, the whole thing where Joseph played a trick on him, making him think Annabelle stole the money. And that was kind of interesting. And then they had the whole thing with the Russian Archduke. And that, that was a fun sequence. It's like he's like, he's trying to kill Joseph. Wait, wait, you want to see dead? Wait, I have an idea. <laughs> and so they need the Russian Archduke, and that's like, and this was another line that stuck in my head that I've used a few times over the years. I can't hear everything on Titanic. It's boring me. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, so you want to see greatest Western tale of all? What is greatest Western tale? Is it legal here? So basically, they have Maverick pretending to be an Indian, dying anyways with too much tobacco. <laughs> and, then, and then I love the part where after Maverick is, quote, killed, won't you even leave him here for the vultures? I never like him much anyway. <laughs> it's so wrong, but I love it. But um, so you have this whole thing. Where, and also, you have that scene where, unbeknownst to Maverick, Joseph had conned the Duke out of a lot of money. And it finally comes up. Wait, that's not $500. That's $1,000. Hey, $1,000? What, the big dogs probably would have gone for 2000 No, 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 that's too much. <laughs> he doesn't know Joseph pocketed a thousand out of the deal. Because uh, Joseph is... And again, he does a good job. Graham Greene is great. He is great. He is kind of the the go-to guy if you need a, quote, na- uh, Indian, Native American, whatever, in your movie. Graham Greene is... It's one of those unfortunate things where they should cast more people than just the one. But he is so good at what he does. And he was really good in this role. And... Like, he, he really did play him. Up for being awesome, just because he really did play him as a as a as big a con artist as Maverick, if not more so. <laughs> it's like in this world, but I really knew I needed to hightail it out of there before Joseph came up with a scheme to help me reinvest my movie. <laughs> 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 you know? 
<laughs> and it's like, yeah, so true. I mean, what Jane was saying earlier, this was very much an episode within the movie. But it was a great episode. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was a big part. <laughs> and then like I was trying to say earlier, if they had, they could have taken a revolutionary route and adopted yeah. the Lady Snowblood yeah. format, where it's like every it's bit of it was, a, you know, broken up into chapters yeah. and narrated by Mel Gibson or whatever. Right. But then, of course, you have, uh, after the scene with Joseph, Gibson... Go well, Maverick. You then see the Warren Bell, the uh, riverboat where the All Rivers tournament is going to make take place, and you see Maverick mixing with the crowd, and he comes across Hannibal, and he finds out that not only is T still two thousand short of the entry fee, she's four thousand short. But then he sees the Duke. And he's like, oh, you just sit on that, Mrs. Branch. We're going to be right back. And he goes up, Maverick, Indian Affairs. <laughs> it's like, uh -huh. He's like, uh, now, Joseph talked. Oh, he's not talking about name. Well, that's what he said at first when I started investigating the murder. But he talked, you know. And then, so basically, he cons the Duke out of six grand which is enough to put him and Annabelle into the game. And it is notable as well that when he goes back to greet Annabelle, she is speaking to a member of the upcoming game. There are a lot of country artists and Western stars who cameo in this final game. James Drew, uh, Waylon Jennings, Kathy Mattea, Supposedly, they did a thing for Maverick yeah. where they talked about that. Actually. But at this point, you see the first appearance of Clint Black. In the, in the, he is talking dang about as Maverick goes up and gives her the money. So then you go into the Warrendale. You see the Duke wandering off on his own little steamboat. He apparently is uh, done with this country at this point. Because Maverick not only finds him six grand, he ends up taking everything else with his wallet. Which actually, the original Maverick probably wouldn't have done that. He was a little more scrupulous. But this version of Maverick was willing to, you know, the guy killed someone for sport, you know. He, or thought he did, anyway. You know what I mean? So, then you get the main game. You get the big game, the big game, the All Rivers Tournament. 20 players, 25 grand apiece, if I remember correctly, for what was it, an even half million was the final pot. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, 500,000. Yeah. So you get all these people, mostly played by Western stars. You get people like Dennis Fimple and Denver Powell, again, shows up in this part, and James Drury and whatnot. And then you got. Um, uh, you do have the cameo from Clint Black as the, quote, fresh-faced gambler. Um, and then you've also got Maverick, Annabelle, Angel, and this is where you meet the Commodore Duvall, who's played by the late, great James Coburn, who is brilliant in this role. And you also find out that Marshall Cooper, 
James Garner's character is running security for the tournament. So, he has this interesting little uh, improv bit. Apparently, Garner boofed and Richard Garner liked it so much he kept it. When Garner's like, anyone who, uh, if you carry a gun, you better be a faster draw than me. And then he tries to put his gun back in the belt and misses. That was unscripted. That was a goof. And Donna liked it so much he kept it in the film. But and I believe it was Tomador who handed the gun back to Goof. <laughs> it was actually a pretty good little sequence. It made everyone feel a little more at ease. Yeah. Yeah. So that was... Um, but basically, the idea is you don't cheat, you don't carry a gun, or you get thrown off the boat. So as the game goes on, Clint Black gets thrown off for cheating. Denver Paul gets thrown off for cheating. Waylon Jennings and Catherine Matea play a married couple who get caught with guns and get thrown off for carrying guns. Um, and incidentally, Clint Black and Waylon Jennings and Tracy Lawrence all have songs that play during this sequence. Uh, in effect, A Good Run of Bad Luck, one of my favorite songs ever, was released as the music video for the film. They actually released uh, a very simple, if you guys didn't watch the video yet, I recommended it. It was apparently the first video Clint Black himself directed. And they did a very simple soundstage of him and the band interspersed with scenes from the movie. But it's a fun video nonetheless. Um, but you also hear Tracy Lawrence, Renegades, Rebels, and Rogues, and you hear Waylon Jennings, You Don't Mess Around With Me. And Restless Heart, who contributed to the soundtrack, plays the house band on the boat, which is kind of cool. Um, so there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of cameos there. Like I said, supposedly Vincent James Gill, but after... 15 years of watching the movie, I still can't figure out who they are. <laughs> and um, some other folks as well. And Dane Hedaya. We mentioned the Adams Family earlier. Dane Hedaya was a supporting character in Adams Family. He plays one of the gamblers, who uh, is the very twitchy... I think he's called the twitchy gambler. Uh, I think that was his uh, uh, alias. And one of the dealers, the one at Maverick's table, I don't remember the actor offhand, but he's the actor who played Riggs and Murtaugh's captain in the Lethal Weapon series. And you notice when Maverick wins, there's a very terse handshake. And probably that's because when he stands up, the chair stuck to his butt. And that was an accident that they kept him <laughs> But also, he gives a very terse handshake as an inside yeah. joke to Lethal Weapon, which I thought was kind of fun. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah. For sure. But anyway, um, before we get to the final big match, did anyone have any commentary to catch up? I've kind of been running it for a bit. Hmm? Not that I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we get to the final match. Where it turns out that the final winners, of course, are Maverick, Annabelle, the Commodore, and Angel. And Maverick and Annabelle have a nice little tryst 
<laughs> between their match and the final match. Which is the sequence, incidentally, where you hear Waylon Jennings playing in the background and Waylon and Kathy get thrown off the board. Yeah. <laughs> For Karen. I don't know what it is about this, but I, I've never found Jodie Foster hotter than <laughs> in that. <laughs> and actually, there's that one part where it's like... Um, Right after they have their little tryst, Coop sees uh, Annabelle in the hall. Well, Annabelle, you're looking particularly ravishing for five in the morning. A uh, nice thrill about you. <laughs> and she runs into the board. She's distracted by his company. <laughs> and of I mean, course, my experience with Jody Foster as a kid at yeah. the time was like, uh, you know, check out, you know, Clarice Starling. Yeah. And she it's pretty yeah, serious, you know, and then and then my uncle's like, Look at taxi driver and you're like, Oh yeah. Oh my god, she's hot. She was much closer in this to yeah. Marie Starling than she was <laughs> This is what three but, years after you know what I mean, like like as a kid, you know, yeah. fucking I don't know if you saw Taxi Driver back I then, did. but... Oh, it's been a minute. I did not see Taxi Driver as early as also Maverick. Let's put it that way. I did see... I, I thought, like, Lambs. right after, like, you know, basically Silence of the Lambs. Right. My so, uncle thought that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, you got the big game. Where the winners of the four small games get together for the big game. And Annabelle's yeah, supposed to uh, leave. And that's again where you have that great line where, there, where Maverick bluffs her out of the game, basically. And it's like, you put me out of the game. You put me out of the game. I, I didn't, you know, she names all her tells. I didn't flip my teeth. You held your breath. What? what was that? And she goes around the table, and everyone's like, "Yeah, you hold your breath." And he's like, "Oh yeah, when you get excited, you you tend to breathe heavily." Well, I, well, well, I'll just pretend I was playing with someone else's money. <laughs> Those moments in Maverick take the place of like the gunslinger moments and right. other less. Right. And then, of course, you go to the next big scene. Where the Commodore is very hot on his hand. And Angel is very hot on his hand. And Maverick is like, I think I could make this work. And so the Commodore goes, well, it looks like I'm sucking hunted here. I'll just bet everything I have. And Angel's like, well, this should cover the Commodore. He looks at me like, I guess we're about even. I'm going to raise you everything I've got. It's half a million dollars to the winner. You know, and then you get this, you know, Maverick takes the bet without even, and he does this weird thing. Like, I like a new cat, a new deck, a new cut, and a new shuffle. That's not premium rules. You can have a new dealer if you like. So he has Angel dealer McCartney. He very specifically says, a card off the top will be sufficient because he saw the dealer dealing sneakily to Angel and the Commodore. 
And so he does this. He does the straight arrow approach. He puts everything on the line without checking the card. And both the Commodore and Angel are freaking out on the Yes. You have this great drum roll moment. The Angel and Commodore is like, well, I have two pair. Eights and eights. And so he puts the cigar in his mouth. He's got the big shitty grin. And then Angel's like, you're not going to take your card. How are you going to know if you're going to beat my straight flush? And I love that moment because I love our Commodores. The cigar goes from up here to down there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, Maverick's like, he just starts putting it out. And he, well, I think they call it high. What do they call that? Do they call it high-rolling or high-balling or something? It supposedly is a major breach of etiquette for poker. I mean, it's basically... It works, but it worked thematically for the movie. He puts down a jack of, or a ten of spades, jack of spades, queen of spades, king of spades, possible royal flush. And he puts down the anyway, he puts a base, and then he does this sort of loose, he deflates. And he just throws it out there, and it's ace of spades, and it's like... And that's where, you know, the fit hits the chain, Angel pulls a gun, his cohorts pull a gun, Maverick and Coop between them gun down all three of them. And then Commodore has this bear. Shit, you're here security, he wants a gun. Everyone's got a gun. <laughs> That's how it works. Exactly. And then you have the presentation of the money where Coop takes the money and runs. And then later you have the campfire scene where you're learning that Coop and the Commodore were in it together. And Maverick sneaks up on them. He gets the money back. Coop beats the Commodore. And you go to the bathhouse scene. We yeah, have the bathhouse is the real yeah. badass end of the movie. You have the, uh, the rare cameo from Richard Donner's wife, Lauren Schulman Donner. I think she's only had like three film credits, but she plays the bathhouse attendant. And then, you know, Maverick had made the comment, decrepit old has-been, couldn't sneak up on a corpse. So Coop sneaks up on him. But old has been couldn't sneak up on a corpse. Your money's eight feet away from you, and your gun—your uh, money's in that satchel, and your gun's eight feet away from you. Not smart. Not smart at all. And then he starts. Uh, Maverick's like, "Oh, my old pappy used to say he does one of those old pappy references, which is again a reference to the show." And and then Coop gets. Kind of, I never said that. And he sticks him underwater and ruins the cigar. <laughs> he grabs another cigar and starts to light it. And he's like, he says that. And he puts him underwater. Happy, you told me that. These same things are a book of peace. You brought me up to save money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you find out there. Actually related. It's like, it's a nice little last minute twist. It's a lot of fun. I feel like uh, all of the uh, backstabbing towards the end 
is what parts of the Caribbean really wanted to be in those later movies when they were doing the same thing, but they just yeah. didn't. They just didn't do it with the skill level that this one did. Man, if William Goldman had been writing for the Pirates series, it might have been a true classic. Dude, if this was a oh, trilogy, yeah. it would have been an absolute powerhouse. Exactly. But at any rate, they. Uh, so you have the whole thing, and then, and then Coop, you, he's in the tub next to Maverick, and then Annabelle shows up. He's like, well, I certainly hope this chart fits. Yes, from the fireless filmmakers in San Francisco. And then she takes the money and runs. And so, but first she's like, my, what a remarkable family. How'd you, how'd you figure that? Well, you don't have the exclusive on tails. You're both the same height, same build. You both draw a young family. You both kiss the same way. You both got the same long words to amazing grace. And then you get this point where she looks at both of them. My, what a remarkable thing. <laughs> for, for the looks of things, I will tell the lady to bring more Cover your ass, Cody. <laughs> exactly. That's not a family-friendly moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, uh, you know, you get the thing where it's like, and he's like, well, we ended up with a half a million dollar court silk shirt. Well, we ended up with a quarter of a million dollar silk shirt because my old papa used to say, don't put the cart before. No, don't put the. Don't ever put your eggs in one basket. Now that I did say. So I got a boot for you. <laughs> Hands in the boot. And the other one's twice as heavy. Oh, Brett, Brett, my boy. Uh, yeah, what are you kids for? I like the boot back, though. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and he's like, I don't know why I left the other half of the money in the satchel. Coop's like, yeah, I know why you did. Yeah, I do too. It'll be a whole lot of fun getting him back. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he asked him about it. He's like, now, nah, there's something I gotta know. How did you pull that ace of spades? You're not gonna believe what I told you. I'm in favor, I believe it. Magic. Yeah, so and then he finally gets that confirmation. I believe you, and then, so it's like yeah, this is nice upbeat ending. And then they go into this great countrified version of Amazing Grace. I love that version of Amazing Grace. And uh, and then what should have been the Oscar-nominated original song of the year, Randy Newman's "Ride Gambler Ride." That was a good song. That's one of his best songs. He should have won the original score too. He really should have. Um, the film was up for costume design. I give it that. <laughs> yeah, good costume design. It was great costume design. But anyway, so um, that's like the basic one now. And we're at two hours. So I guess we're about time to start talking about favorites, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, first of all, does anyone have anything I missed or that we missed overall that they really wanted to cover? I guess not. Okay. 
So, who wants to talk about favorites? Mo? No, no. Uh, I think my favorite scene in the entire movie is probably just that scene where he fucking chucks her back into her window. Yeah, I caught you. You know, uh, <laughs> he chucks her into a window before he even bothers to get her wa- get his wallet back. You know, he threw her out the window. Only in this case, he was throwing her in the window. <laughs> and just their whole chemistry through the whole movie, <laughs> yeah. and then yes. you know, uh, all of them, all the, the whole principal cast was mm-hmm. amazing. That that trio of characters should. Have done at least two more movies. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so, all right. How about you, Dan? Um, let me think. I think I liked everything having to do with uh, Graham Green just because of how fresh that dialogue felt and how genuine that friendship felt. Like, um, I was impressed with the fact that even though these characters that pop up are relatively incidental, you do get the sense that they've had quite a history with Maverick, and mm-hmm. nowhere is that better communicated than in that scene. And just the exchanges they have, I was like, I never heard uh, that kind of dialogue in that setting before, so that was really awesome. Right. How about you, Dave? Well... I did not grow up on this movie like you did, so I guess I didn't have as much of a love for it, but, uh, but I did enjoy the uh, the um, scene where um, all those ba- uh, bandits uh, decided to accost him like, the next day, and Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when they when they when he had to ask for change, and and they were all <laughs> exchanging coinage and what and what yeah. while he's taking their money. So I think you, uh, I think you're going in Canada better than you thought. <laughs> well, I, so I have to watch this movie a couple of times before it sits in on me for something <coughs> for something. Uh, as for somebody who grew up on westerns and uh, uh, war, uh, war mo- uh, movies uh, and in western com- uh, comedy, I, I, it's not easy for me to watch. I don't know Mel, uh, Mel Gibson in that this kind of a role. Uh, I mean, I can see Garner in this role, uh, role. So it, it but <laughs> I enjoyed the dialogue of his Indian friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the uh, the most in here uh, for uh, for so, uh, some re- reason, just the fact that uh, that w- he showed up with his war party and he, yeah. nobody understood uh, stood Indian. Uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, so, uh, so when he was telling him, okay, just just play along with me, act like this, <laughs> you know? uh, uh, that was kind of comical. And then when he's like, hey, is this going to take long? It's getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> Right, oh. <laughs> uh, and I like the whole thing with him and the Archduke. Like, like he's like big asshole. Are they greets him in French? No, 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 no. Pangle, a white man. <laughs> I guess I have to, I have to just get uh, uh, rewatch it because it, it's the movie is on its way to me. Uh, thanks to 
of the pandemic, it's slowing this pace to getting here. So uh. <laughs> I bought mine off of eBay. I probably should have bought mine off of Amazon. <laughs> okay, you never know nowadays, honestly. I've, I've got really good shipment on eBay items, except for Shigeru Ekaden. <laughs> it doesn't matter right now, man. It's all coming to us, and it's all mostly people trying to avoid... If it goes to California, it sits there for like, uh, like about three weeks, then goes to Chicago, and it's like it's got to uh, it's got to go under everybody, everybody, including the mob, uh, and then uh, <laughs> and, and well, that's uh, probably going to eventually show up here. But I, I want my shit. Here's hoping <laughs> they simply said it's time for kind about it, and they sound like if you watch my pickup video from this week on Septum Sun versus World. Where I talk about the Shigeru Yekiden, where it's clearly obvious that the post stations all along the way saw this, said, oh, well, this is a piece of crap OVA. We're going to use it as a doorstop before we send it along. I swear to God, that's what they did. It took at least a month for me to get that item. And it looked like they used it as a doorstop. Well, whenever I'm on the subject, I do just want to... Like, you know, make this known, you know, from me and to every other local mm -hmm. post office employee mm -hmm. to you. We would rather this not be going on as well. Well, very good. Most of, the stuff I've got, most of the stuff I've gotten has looked really good. Oh, yeah. Most of it has arrived quickly. For the most part, I've been very impressed. But that one item... Their only explanation is they must use it as a doorstop. They sense how terrible it was. Exactly. A lot of times that counts. I mean, that's handed to me like that, you know? Yeah. Like, and then I have to take it to your house. It's not your mailman that's doing that. That's unfortunate when that happens, I gotta say. But uh, I think it happened early on because I'm pretty sure it was in California for at least a couple of weeks before it, it ended up moving. But anyway, um, so I guess, Brandon, your take, uh, favorites or whatnot. <clears throat> well, I didn't really have much of a changed opinion of the movie from the second time uh, from the first, but... Uh, <laughs> I did enjoy that scene where they um, where the uh, they pulling out the thing that showed the uh, twenty thousand dollars. So I always wanted to know what twenty thousand dollars sounded like. I <laughs> pour a, a joke on them, but yeah. I'm not, uh, But that surprised me in a couple of ways. One, it surprised me that he was pulling a joke and that he had. Uh, Come out of it, and the second was that he didn't steal anything from Maverick in regard to that, which is also something I expected at least other. So I was uh, quite happy with that scene. It's like, cool. I, I've never seen 20,000. Can I see it? Well, hell, you can roll in it. <laughs> he, was, he was legitimately curious about it. He wasn't going doing it. So I was just, that was cool. One of the, one of the few, like, straight out uh, things. Yeah. And if it's not clear already, I love this whole movie. I, I have trouble picking a particular favorite. I do love the commentary on the Native American plight. Like, the whole thing of, 
you know, but not everybody's like you, Mrs. Bransford. They're the, uh, you know, the, uh, I think it was their fault, too, for being on our land before we got here. Because I happen to believe fully that we screwed over the Native Americans. I fully believe this. I yeah. don't know. Uh, we, we, yes, yes, we fully did. And it, and, and it, I'm just screwing over with the land, but it's like a full-on genocide, you know, because oh, of like it's like a and minor it's inconvenience. It's like, yeah, it's totally a bummer that I came here and fucking like started killing a bunch of your relatives. And <laughs> I don't know if this is. Yeah, I'm not personally sorry for it because I didn't do it, but right. I get it. You know, this is probably a controversial view. But one of the reasons I have such an issue with Pocahontas is because I feel that the whole idea of lionizing her for basically making it easy for the British to colonize Virginia, well, that's a very Eurocentric viewpoint. And it's probably not the viewpoint that most Native Americans would have of that particular individual. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say that, like, I definitely grew up with Pocahontas just being, like, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, like, Native cousins that... Right. Because... Yeah, that actually looked a lot like that, Jack. Like I said, my point is, like, in particular, like, I have issues with the movie on multiple levels, but that's one of the reasons. But just in general, the heroes that we tend to put forward to, I grew up in Virginia. In Virginia, Pocahontas is considered a hero. Yep. But... It's, when you think about it, yeah, from the Eurocentric viewpoint, but is she really from the Native American viewpoint? I really wonder. So, yeah. You'd have to to ask them, I guess, but, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up with Pocahontas, and that was one of the first Disney films I saw, so, I mean, I'm a little, I remembered seeing commercials for it when it was new, so, I mean, I'm a little biased on that level, but I completely understand every uh, criticism against it. Um, yeah, know, I'm in the camp of like I thought the fucking raccoon and the hummingbird was super cute. <laughs> well, I, like, I, like, I like the fact I, that they uh, didn't. I, I like the fact know, that they didn't talk for once. I was like, you know, that was refreshing. From a naturalist standpoint, from a naturalist standpoint, they did a good job of of capturing the behavior of a hummingbird. They did do that because the hummingbird was very territorial and possessive, and that is true of hummingbirds. But anyway, so um, but my biggest thing again, I hate. I, I generally hate to be the sort that applauds bullies. I don't. I think bullies suck. But I think that when someone is being bullied because they brought it on themselves, 
I love the way Maverick constantly tweaks Annabelle for being a thief and a con artist. Almost every comment yeah. he makes about her is tweaking her for being a thief. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't even call it bullying, though. I would just call yeah. him trolling the shit out of her, you know? He was trolling the shit? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. Until he's doing less in the movie, man. Or he was trolling those motherfuckers. Yes. And that was probably my favorite thing, was I love, like I said, at the end where she loses, and she's like, I was just playing with someone else's mind. Shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> I just love that. And I feel yeah. like that was so good. But again, this is a William Goldman script. It was completely peppered with wonderful bits of dialogue. It was totally peppered with it. It was. And it was he should have been, been prouder of this screenplay than he was. He really. And this should have been an Oscar nominee adapted screenplay. It should have been up for adapted screenplay. Yep. And, I, and again, I love the music. I did go, when the movie was big, when I was huge into the movie, I was a big country fan. I was a huge Clint Black fan. I've cooled on that over the years, but I still think <laughs> it's, it's, it's still a kick-ass soundtrack. It is still a soundtrack. So, yes. So, it's got some great moments. And, um, so, yeah, that's my, my take on it. So large belt buckle to match here coming back this. I never uh, did get the big belt buckle. I do have a bolo tie that I wear on very rare occasions. <laughs> and I did get a Sutton hat, but I never I very rarely wear True shit. I have like yeah. fucking fifteen bolo ties and I have been in several parades as a <laughs> child and as a tiny adult. I guess <laughs> in my teenage years, because my parents have an art gallery, so I'd always have to like ride out there yeah. with the bolo tie and the fucking shirt, and I'd be like on a bicycle. Like, and I want to do one more thing. One more thing as far as favorites, and I think no, I think you're the one who really touched on this earlier. If I'm remembering correctly, I am a little toasted, so maybe I'm not. The chemistry between Mel Gibson, yes. Johnny Foster, and James Garner was brilliant. It's beautiful. The chemistry I mean, between the was brilliant. It might be one of the best examples of that. Like a lot of movies can pull that off with like two characters, yeah. you know. Yeah. But they pulled it off with three, like flawlessly throughout yeah. the entire fucking movie. And the yeah. others. Too. I mean, James Coburn and Graham Greene and everyone oh, just... Sure, they're all good, but, you know, those principal characters are like, exactly. they have that chemistry throughout the entire movie. You know, and a lot, right of, the end. A lot of these people are underrated. Jodie Foster's underrated as a comedic actor. For sure she Alfred is. is just straight underrated. He is not of an Oscar nod. He was robbed of an Oscar nod for both Frida and uh, in education. He was brilliant in both films. And he, and he was great in Spider-Man, too. I mean, you know, so there was a lot of really great talent there. Hmm? Yeah. Fuck, I man. Yeah. I mean, it's 
Maverick is a beast of a movie, no matter which way you look at it. You know, and I think I think the people that don't really go into it expecting that. Oh, I do want to mention one random thing that is an unfortunate. Warner Brothers has done some questionable things over the years, which it definitely has affected the DCEU to no unfortunate degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman and so forth. But Warners did one really messed up thing, and that is when the original TV series aired, the TV creator, Roy Huggins, was chipped out of residuals because Warners chose to lead with an episode that he did not have a hand in. And they did that intentionally to jip him out of creator residuals. Maverick the movie is the first time Roy Huggins was created or was credited on screen for creating Maverick. It's fucked. That is messed up on Warner's part, but it is a cool thing about the movie. They set the record straight. Yes. So, anyway, that's, I guess, all I have to do on that. We've run really long. um, The only other similar thing was uh, DC screwed over Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster for uh, Superman, but then with the publicity of Richard Donner's film of Superman, that's how they got the restored byline on Superman, even though DC Mm -hmm. kept the rights, but they did get a, a pension from DC, so... You know, that's a, another creative thing. Well, even so, um, we talked earlier about Richard Donner's uh, official cut of Superman 2. That was a film that Warner kind of ripped out of the hands of the creator. And, uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have that. Incidentally, I just recently acquired that. So. Anyway. So, are we ready for wrap-up? Is that everyone's... uh, Are we good? Okay. So, who wants to lead? Well, my name's Mo. I do (laughs) videos occasionally for a channel called Jericho Master Studios. Uh, This has been a good Yeah. It's it's occasionally fun. And... uh, I really enjoy doing stuff with these guys. I think this has been a good discussion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there you go. Very cool. How about you, Dane? I am Dane Kyle, aka Dane Dameron, on YouTube. I'm on a channel called Indie Horror Film Creative, where I do a show called Blu-ray Views, where I do a lot of unboxings of Blu-rays, and I'm doing more reviews of, well, specific films as well as other film topics, like I did an episode about films that I found uh, that disturbed me the most, and why it's important for people to watch disturbing films to kind of fortify them for the real horrors of life um, and to kind of conquer mm. the demons inside so that the demons mm. outside are easier to fight. Um, mm. 
and yeah, I do things like that. Um, so yeah, indie horror film creative. I'm a filmmaker trying to, you know, get back in the swing of things now that, uh, you know, the big, now, now that my personal life is finally starting to uh, stabilize and, you know, things are looking up again, it's like, okay, you know, now I can relax a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, the stay tuned for more cool videos like that. Alright. Um, how about you, Brian? Well, I'm Septim Sen of Septim Sen vs. the World. I uh, run a channel which we uh, dedicate to physical media and the collection of physical media. We do various uh, side projects. And, of course, uh, none the least is our discussion group, uh, The Vlogcast, which is kind of a free-form entertainment group. We kind of just start on a topic, and then uh, it seems like it just flows out naturally from there. Um... With that being said, of course, I also do work with Inside Movies Galore and help do the scheduling when it comes to the movies. Um, I have been handing these uh, over to the people who are dedicated to next week, but we will be seeing a return of uh, Dustin uh, to our group next week as he tackles two... Uh, films of his, our favorites, uh, Alligator and Crawl. So that's going to be a very fun and entertaining week. Okay, good deal. Um, and then I guess I'll go ahead and go and take over. Um, and I'm Kobuki Jake, and um, <laughs> and he disappears. And I'm David Stregge. Um I am one of the founding fathers of uh, uh, Inside Movies Galore while we wait here for uh, uh, Kabuki Jake. He does his own ch uh, channel and, and his own thing with nature videos. Uh, from what I understand, he's also the uh, the, uh, the Robin to uh, Septim's Batman um, on Septim Sin versus the World channel, and uh, I know he's got uh, some very cool pickup videos for you to check out on his channel. If uh, of those of you that. Uh, I uh, do want to and be inspired by video person uh, personality thing. And uh, I, I also moonlight myself on another channel called Delusions of Grandeur, uh, where I do video pickup videos and um, video reviews of my own. So um, I... Somewhat kind of did uh, a, a little bit of an intro for, or outro for you while you were gone. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I'm going to pull it away abruptly. So basically, um, yeah, I'm Kurt Bookie Jake. I'm off from Uncertainty versus the World. And uh, 
I definitely appreciate everyone uh, taking as long as they did on this movie because this was one that, like I said, was a favorite of mine for a long time. And it's still a favorite. As, as I've said before, I know the concept uh, that evolved from Quentin Tarantino of the so called hangout song that you watch just because they love spending time with the characters. This is one of those songs for me. It's all I love spending time with the characters. So, and I guess yeah. I, really, I really myself have to rewatch this a couple of times. Yeah. I'm hoping that this film will. Mm-hmm. on me. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's one of those films I missed out on the opportunity to watch at the time. I think, I think that's true of a lot of William Goldman's films. I mean, I need to see Butch Cassidy more than I have. I've probably seen it three times. I'm sure if I see it again... I've seen it twice. I like, I like it better each time I see it. Mm-hmm. I have a copy that needs to be watched of all the President's Men, I think I've only seen that once. I feel like I think I've only seen Misery once. I feel like if I saw those again, they would join this crowd of films that I like seeing more than once. But like I said, Maverick and Princess Bride, oh man, when it comes to hang out films, I mean they're just and I love I love Princess Bride. Yes. Um, maybe I just have to watch this in the right pre- uh, uh, presence. Once I get the D- uh, DVD, I'll uh, I'll watch it. It's, I bought mm-hmm. it with, uh, with the double copy of Will, uh, Will Smith's Wild Side. I've been pairing the show with Columbo, and they actually make a great pairing. They really do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun. Well, you know, come to think of it, though, we are overdue for a Columbo movie. But then again, how would you how would you replace Peter Falk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or at least a Columbo reboot of a show. Of exactly. But uh, in any case, going back to Moonlighting and Delusions of Grandeur, I I do have a newest review up uh, there of a movie from the UK uh, filmed in 2018 called Temptation. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely check that out. And uh, like we said, Dustin is uh, up uh, in in the... show you exactly what kind of a person he is on this. I say he's just been a real crocodile. Alligator supposedly is the the pre-show. Again, with with Dustin, you don't know. Uh, I guess he wasn't extremely clear with me, uh, but uh, I will assume that what I got from him was yes. <laughs> so that should be an interesting discussion. Crawl was uh, interesting. There was some really stupid people, but it was interesting. Considering <laughs> 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 that we just had our first tropical storm of the season, that's actually fairly common. Yeah, it is. In any case, uh, Definitely, ladies and uh, gentlemen, 
stay out of the West, at least for right now. <laughs> I hear that, uh, that there are a couple of unsavory characters uh, are still running around there. Uh, and have a good evening, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Good evening. Now you have to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well... Do ya? Punks? Oh! 